0: This episode contains descriptions of violence. Discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13.
1: It was approaching midnight on Halloween 1975 when a few teenagers in Clifton, Virginia walked down an unlit back road. They were all on the hunt for a Halloween scare.
0: Their target lay up ahead, A narrow, concrete tunnel officially called the Colchester Overpass. But these kids called it Bunny Man Bridge.
1: The night was so dark the teens couldn't see through to the other side of the short tunnel. The opening, like a gaping mouth, led only to darkness. One of the kids
0: clicked on a flashlight, illuminating the tunnel. Even with the light, the hairs on everyone's neck raised. The place just felt sinister.
1: Their footsteps echoed as the teens walked deeper into the tunnel. The other sounds of the night, the crickets, the wind, the distant traffic, all disappeared. It felt like an alternate universe, one that belonged to someone else, someone evil.
0: But no one wanted to chicken out first, so they gathered around the flashlight and started to chant.
1: Bunny Man, Bunny Man,
0: Bunny Man. Together, they summon the most infamous killer in Clifton's history. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly.
1: And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer.
0: Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained
1: Mysteries for free
0: on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries
1: in the search bar. This episode, we're covering an urban legend known as the Bunny Man, a maniac who ran amok in the forests of Fairfax County, Virginia. His infamous name is said to derive from his propensity to eat live rabbits and leave their mutilated corpses displayed on an overpass known as Bunny Man Bridge.
0: We'll delve into the stories behind this sinister creature and why the Bunnyman legend is still going strong today.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game, and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.
0: There are several versions of the Bunny Man legend. The most common story starts in the early 1900s, when residents of the small but expanding town of Clifton, Virginia, grew uneasy about an unsavory
1: neighbor. Situated on the outskirts of their picturesque rural town was an asylum for the criminally insane.
0: By 1903, Clifton locals had circulated a petition to have the asylum relocated. Their collective action worked, Authorities agreed to close the facility and relocate its inhabitants to a new institution called Lorton Prison.
1: On the designated moving day in the fall of 1904, guards herded prisoners onto buses. One by one, the buses rolled away from the condemned Clifton Asylum.
0: But one of the buses never made it to its destination.
1: An unknown obstacle in the road made the driver swerve suddenly. And in seconds, the bus, still packed with asylum inmates, tumbled off the road.
0: At Lorton Prison, local police realized they were one bus short. They immediately initiated a search. When they finally found the bus's crash site, they realized that only a few of the passengers' bodies were accounted for.
1: The cops immediately ordered a manhunt for the missing prisoners. They knew that any one of the criminally insane men on the loose presented an imminent threat to the community. The search through
0: heavily forested territory was grueling. Fortunately, over the course of the next four months, police apprehended all the convicts except for two, Marcus A. Walster and Douglas J. Griffin.
1: No records on Walster's crimes have ever materialized. But years earlier, the legend says, Griffin committed a heinous crime. On an Easter Sunday, he murdered his wife and children.
0: Griffin's homicidal past only increased the threat he presented to Clifton's inhabitants. So police redoubled their efforts, combing through the uninhabited forests of Fairfax County for the murderer on the loose.
1: Griffin was nowhere to be found, but police did encounter a strange clue half-eaten, mutilated rabbit corpses. They were hanging from tree branches, swinging sickeningly in the breeze.
0: The damage to the rabbits was so savage, cops might have assumed a deranged animal was responsible. But the thoughtful display of the carcasses could only be the work of an unhinged human. From then on, Clifton Copps referred to Griffin as the Bunny Man.
1: Perhaps the killer didn't appreciate this nickname because he soon upstaged those terrifying rabbit tableaus. The next time the police went after the Bunny Man, they saw a person swinging in the breeze. The body
0: of Marcus A. Walster,
1: the other missing inmate, hung in the
0: center of the Colchester overpass, earning it the local name, the Bunny Man Bridge. Authorities had no doubt that whoever killed the rabbits also murdered Walster because he hadn't just been hung.
1: He had been skinned just like the rabbits.
0: Walster's murder upped the stakes. Tracking down the bunny man became the police's number one priority. If he had killed a fellow prisoner, it was only a matter of time before he moved on to
1: innocent civilians. Fortunately, before another murder took place, the police caught a lucky break. During another routine search, a pair of cops heard rustling up ahead.
0: The two law enforcement officers crept closer, taking care to keep their approach silent. Finally, through some bushes, they spotted a filthy, bloody man gnawing on a rabbit carcass.
1: It had to be the bunny man.
0: Suddenly, the escaped convict spotted the cops. Immediately, he took off, racing through the forest.
1: The two officers gave chase, but the bunny man knew these woods better than they did. He moved with unnatural speed, ducking branches and darting around trees. Fortunately,
0: the adrenaline stored over months of searching gave the police their own edge. Slipping on leaves and whiplashed by branches, they still managed to keep pace with the frenzied killer.
1: But the bunny man only picked up speed, sprinting to an overpass above train tracks. The cops
0: just watched, jaws agape, and a little bit relieved. They were positive that a leap from that height would leave the bunny man with broken legs, making him easy to catch.
1: But he landed on the tracks below, and inexplicably kept running. For a moment, despair
0: overtook the cops. Their dangerous and sought after quarry was about to escape. But then something happened that neither party expected.
1: A train thundered through the tunnel, striking and immediately killing the bunny man. At least it
0: must have killed him. But bizarrely, in the moments immediately after the train hit the Bunny Man, both policemen swore they could hear him laughing.
1: On Halloween 1905, several teenagers gathered under Bunny Man Bridge to enjoy the spooky ambience. As midnight approached, many of the kids gave up the vigil. Only two daring boys and one girl remained.
0: Then, right as the clock struck 12, A bright light blinded all three teens.
1: A few seconds later, all of them were inexplicably dead.
0: Some supernatural force had slashed their throats. Their entrails were left dangling from long vertical
1: gashes along their abdomen. But that wasn't all. In addition to being butchered, all three teens were left hanging by their necks from the overpass. Just like Marcus Walster.
0: After this fresh horror, Clifton residents saw no signs of the Bunny Man for a full year. Imprudently, the locals let their guard down. And one year later, when Halloween 1906 rolled around, even more adrenaline-seeking teens vowed to stay under the bridge past midnight.
1: As 12 o'clock approached, six kids were left waiting for the scare of a lifetime. But this time, another teen, a girl named Adrian, chose to wait in the bushes nearby. She wanted to witness whatever happened, but staying outside the bridge felt safer. From her
0: vantage point, Adrian noticed a dim, floating light moving over the train tracks just seconds before midnight.
1: The minute 12 hit... The dim light disappeared and a bright strobe erupted from under the bridge, followed by screams.
0: Adrian had to cover her mouth to stop from screaming herself. Seconds later, she could make out several figures swinging from the bridge. Adrian's friends had suffered the same fate as the poor teenagers the year before.
1: The horrific scene repeated itself on Halloween 1913. Then, decades later in 1943 and 1976. To this day, Bunny Man Bridge remains a popular gathering spot on Halloween night. But no one is foolish enough to stay past midnight.
0: Still, as scary as the Bunny Man legend is, its origins might be even stranger than the killer himself.
1: Coming up, We investigate the bizarre background of the Bunny Man lore. Hi, listeners. I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from ParCast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. Our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on. And it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? The urban legend known as the Bunny Man centered around a homicidal maniac named Douglas J. Griffin, who escaped from a local asylum for the criminally insane in the early 1900s. Just a few days after his flight, the Bunny Man murdered another escaped criminal. Then, he allegedly left his victim's body hanging from the Colchester overpass.
0: After a breathless police chase through the woods, the Bunny Man died when a train ran him over. Unfortunately, death didn't stop his horrifying work.
1: According to legend, for years the Bunny Man's evil spirit returned to the Colchester overpass at midnight on Halloween. Anyone present ended up hanging from the tunnel, just like the homicidal killer's first victim.
0: At least, that's how the story goes. However, like many urban legends, especially those with as many details as the Bunny Man, it doesn't take much research to unmask this tale as a likely hoax.
1: For one, there's no record of an Asylum for the Criminally Insane near Clifton, Virginia, or anywhere in Fairfax County for that matter, during the early 20th century.
0: Lorton Prison, the new facility that the Bunny Man was supposed to be transferred to, does exist. But it wasn't built until 1910, and didn't open until 1916. That doesn't align with the legend's timeline, which says the Bunny Man escaped from the facility in 1904, six years before the building even existed.
1: Perhaps the most damning evidence is that neither of the criminals named in the legend appear in any Fairfax County records.
0: There is absolutely no official documentation of an arrest, trial, or imprisonment of either Douglas J. Griffin or his fellow inmate and first victim, Marcus A. Walster.
1: In addition, there's nothing in the known archives about the gruesome crimes the bunny man supposedly committed after his escape from the asylum.
0: According to the legend, police spent almost a year focused on a manhunt for the killer. If that was actually true, the Clifton Police Department would have a lot of paperwork on the case and the local news would have covered it. Instead, trustworthy historical records like newspapers, police reports, and court transcripts, are all silent on the bunny man. Today, the only place the legend can be found in its entirety is on the Internet.
1: The most detailed and popular version of the story appears on a website called Castle of Spirits. It was written and posted in 1999 by a person named Timothy C. Forbes, who claimed to be a Virginia resident. It would be easy to
0: write off the whole tale as Forbes' invention. But a few other factors take the story from a creepy rumor posted online to something much more powerful, a true urban legend.
1: One of the main ingredients of a good urban legend is the existence of many different variations of the story. The Bunny Man fulfills this requirement in spades.
0: Although Forbes' version is the most widespread, hundreds of slightly tweaked renditions exist on the web and in people's minds. In some versions, the Bunny Man himself, rather than an ethereal light, murders teenagers with an axe. In others, the Bunny Man still lurks in the forests around Clifton today.
1: The next quality of a substantial urban legend is its longevity whether it can survive over multiple generations again the bunny man fits the bill
0: although it exists on the internet nowadays the legend first emerged in oral retellings these were captured in academic research back in the 1970s since then the story has remained part of the cultural landscape of virginia's fairfax county and beyond
1: The last trait of a good urban legend is that it can't be entirely made up. The best tales are always grounded in small kernels of indisputable truth. And the Bunny Man's birth story is more interesting and bizarre than most. A 1970 Washington Post
0: article tells the story of the real Bunny Man's first attack. While it didn't take place at Bunny Man Bridge, like the legend suggests, it did occur at nighttime in a remote part of Fairfax County.
1: According to the article, on October 18, 1970, Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancé left his uncle's house late one night after a visit. The couple decided to park in an empty lot across the street from Bennett's uncle's house to talk. It's possible they were doing more than
0: talking, but that's neither here nor there. In any case, the couple was distracted when the passenger side window suddenly shattered.
1: Bennett later described the man standing outside the car to police as dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears.
0: The man in the bunny suit shouted at the couple, telling them that they were trespassing on private property. Then, he threatened them by explaining that he had recorded their license plate
1: number. Finally, the irate man threw a hatchet through the couple's broken window and, quote, skipped off into the night, end quote.
0: Bennett and his fiancée couldn't get out of there fast enough. Fortunately, the couple was left unharmed.
1: They marched straight to the police station to file a report. On being questioned, Bennett turned over the only evidence he had, the hatchet the bunny-suited man had thrown through his car window.
0: Fairfax County's factual, bunny-suited disturbances didn't end there. The Washington Post also reported on another man, or most likely, the same man, who turned up just a block away from the initial incident 11 days later.
1: On October 29, 1970, Paul Phillips, a private security guard, was performing his rounds in an uninhabited subdivision recently built by the development company Kings Park West. Phillips spotted a movement outside one of the homes, stopped his car, and got out. He turned on his flashlight and slowly
0: tracked the movement across the porch of one of the new homes.
1: There, Phillips' flashlight illuminated a man in a gray, black, and white rabbit suit. He was wielding a long-handled axe. Likely freaked out, Phillips addressed him. But the man in the rabbit suit didn't answer. He simply began hacking at one of the porch's support beams with his axe.
0: As he chopped eight gouges into the pole, he finally began to speak. Like the man who lobbed a hatchet through Bennett's car window 11 days earlier, this bunny man was also angry about trespassing. According to Phillips, the bunny man said... All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head.
1: After that blatant threat, Phillips ran back to his car to retrieve his gun. But by the time he armed himself, the man in the rabbit suit had absconded into the woods. This time, he took his axe with him.
0: Unlike Bennett and his fiancée, Phillips didn't have any physical evidence to turn over to the police. However... Having gotten a better look at the perpetrator, he was able to provide
1: a description to the cops. Phillips estimated that the man in the suit was in his early 20s, stood about 5 feet 8 inches tall, and weighed 160 pounds.
0: This was all investigator W.L. Johnson had to go on when he was tasked with looking into both Bunnyman incidents. Evidence this paltry likely wouldn't have gotten him far. But then... Johnson received an unexpected break.
1: A few days after Phillips' run-in with the bunny-suited perpetrator, a staff member at Kings Park West received a phone call from an individual who identified himself as the Axeman.
0: The caller complained again about the Kings Park West development. However, it wasn't trespassers he was worried about. Instead, The man claimed that Kings Park West discarded plant debris like brush and tree stumps on his property.
1: Then the axe man offered to make a deal. He told the Kings Park West staffer, you can make everything right by meeting me tonight and talking about the situation.
0: According to the person who took the call, the axe man sounded like he fit the profile Phillips provided a white male in his teens or early 20s.
1: Based on the staffer's conversation, police staged a stakeout. A
0: couple of cops waited in an unmarked vehicle at the house where the man in the bunny suit had last appeared. They hoped to lay eyes on the perpetrator, but nobody showed up. However, the trail didn't go cold completely.
1: In the weeks following the publication of the two Washington Post articles, More people reached out with tips. One person apparently claimed they'd seen the bunny man eat a missing cat.
0: It was sometime after the article's publication in October 1970 that people started referring to the bunny-suited man as simply the bunny man.
1: Meanwhile, Investigator Johnson chased every single lead, even going as far as to interview an 8-year-old who told his mother that he knew the bunny man and that it was an older teenager dressed in the suit.
0: But when Johnson sat down with the child, the lead fell apart. The boy had never actually laid eyes on the strange character. Instead, he confessed he had only heard of the bunny man at school from the rest of the children talking about him.
1: Still, Johnson followed up with other kids in the neighborhood, hoping that at least one of them had really spotted the man in the suit. Or perhaps had an older family member who fancied long bunny ears.
0: But every interview turned out the same. Although the children had plenty of gossip to relay, no one could actually confess to seeing the bunny man.
1: By March 1971, Johnson wasn't sure if the man in the bunny suit would ever re-emerge. After five months of investigation, Phillips, the security guard, was still the most reliable eyewitness. And so, Johnson reluctantly listed the case as inactive. Police
0: never apprehended the real bunny man. If his age, as estimated by witnesses, is accurate, he could still be living in Fairfax County today. But he's either retired his bunny suit, or those who encounter him are too spooked to turn their stories over to authorities. Despite his failure to reappear, The two 1970s sightings took hold of the imagination of the Fairfax community, especially the town's children. It's not clear how reports of a guy in a bunny suit morphed into a legend about a homicidal maniac who liked to feed on rabbit carcasses. But somehow, this is what happened.
1: It's also worth noting that the overpass on Colchester Road, a central piece of the bunny man legend, never figured into the real-life incidents. So while the odd run of bunny suits in 1970 Fairfax County likely laid the seeds, the Bunny Man as we know him today had yet to be born.
0: But with the help of some local teenagers, that would soon change. Coming up, the raw material of an urban legend forms an intergenerational fable.
1: Now back to the story.
0: Although the actual details of the Bunny Man urban legend aren't corroborated by any historical data, the story appears to have originated in two peculiar 1970s incidents revolving around a man in a bunny suit with an
1: ax. The media's reference to this costume perpetrator as the Bunny Man gave birth to the urban legend's protagonist. Beyond these details, however, The connection between fact and legend aren't clear-cut. But we're in luck. In an incredible lightning strike of kismet,
0: a college student and an archival project came together to capture the Bunny Man's early transformation from eccentric criminal to urban
1: legend. In 1973, college student Patricia Johnson chose to write a research paper on the Bunny Man when she was done, she submitted it to the Maryland Folklore Archive, a state project designed to preserve local legends.
0: The archive made Patricia's research available to the public. Now, nearly 50 years later, the paper sheds light on how the Bunny Man urban legend came into being.
1: For her research, Patricia interviewed 33 young people in her local area of Prince George's County, Maryland.
0: It's important to unpack a few key points about Patricia's research parameters. First, Prince George's County is across the river from Fairfax County, both the real and legendary stomping ground for the Bunny Man. Although the areas are in different states, they're very close together, so local news reports from the counties would certainly overlap.
1: Second, it's crucial to note that Patricia deliberately limited her subjects to teenagers ages 15 to 18.
0: When investigator W.L. Johnson looked into the two bunny suit incidents in 1970, many of the tips he followed up on led back to school-aged children. Both W.L. Johnson's experience and Patricia's choice of subjects suggest that young people were the principal source of this urban legend.
1: This trend holds true for urban legends as a whole. Jan Harold Brunvand, a folklorist who has studied urban legends, told the Washington Post that teenagers are the primary group responsible for creating and spreading urban legends.
0: Patricia Johnson illustrated that very phenomenon in real time as she was able to record 54 different versions of the bunny man legend in her interviews with local teenagers. When broken down this way, Johnson's collected stories show how, in just three years, the minds of children and young adults were already reforming the Bunny Man news stories into more heightened horror fare.
1: Of the 54 interviews Patricia recorded, some teenagers did have narrative details that matched the real 1970 appearances. Nine mentioned an ambush on a couple in a parked car. Five touched on the destruction of property. Eighteen included the bunny man chasing or threatening people with an axe. And that's where things start to get twisted. While the axe detail is accurate
0: to what happened in 1970, the real-life bunny-suited man never chased anyone with his hatchet. Furthermore, many respondents claimed that the bunny man terrorized children. This was also false.
1: Perhaps as the teens internalized the story, they started centering the narrative around themselves. Thus, the urban legend began to emerge. Through this process, three of Patricia's subjects escalated the Bunny Man's crimes to murder. Not only did Patricia's paper
0: show how young people's imaginations created the Bunny Man urban legend, it also confirmed that the legend originated from the 1970s incidents and not any earlier.
1: For one, many of her interviewees mentioned the newspaper or television reports about the Bunny Man as their initial source of information. In Brian Conley's archival research, he didn't come across any records indicating similar crimes before the 1970s.
0: Of course, Patricia's research captured a snapshot of an ongoing process The urban legend continued to evolve over the next couple of decades, long after Patricia had concluded her project.
1: Unfortunately, the information about the legend's progress after 1973 is piecemeal and reliant on the fickle memories of individuals. In
0: 1976, Archivist Brian Conley reported hearing a version of the story that included the bunny man murdering two unruly children living in Clifton.
1: Decades later, journalist Matt Blitz recalled a different version of the tale, one that introduced the mutilated rabbits element.
0: In the most recent piece of the legend puzzle, a YouTuber called Political Juice admitted hearing the story from someone at their high school. Their version included the setting of Bunnyman Bridge.
1: Without Patricia Johnson's meticulous records, it's impossible to track when, how, or why each element of the urban legend ended up getting added. The closest we can get to understanding the evolution of the myth is to recognize a few human truths.
0: First, memories are faulty. As children and teenagers repeat a story, they forget some details and unknowingly
1: add others. But perhaps more importantly, many people, especially teenagers, harbor a desire to one-up the last guy. Many people who retold the story probably added their own salacious details designed to keep their audiences even more enthralled and terrified.
0: Take the Bunny Man Bridge, for example. Archivist Brian Conley suspected that teens seeking independence favored the bridge as an easy place to hang out. In 2003, Conley told the Washington Post, you could go under that bridge and there was nothing there except a great place to party.
1: Conley theorizes that the bridge probably got looped into the story when someone told the urban legend while at that creepy location the storyteller would have instinctually known that nothing increases the stakes for an audience, like realizing that they're in the very spot where a story's victim was murdered.
0: Today, most Clifton natives know the Bunny Man story is false, but it still maintains a presence in local culture,
1: especially around Halloween. Bunny Man decorations routinely show up on residential streets, Local haunted experiences, like night hikes, always feature professional scare actors in a bunny costume. And, of course, teenagers still gather at Bunny Man Bridge on Halloween night.
0: But it's always a cop that surprises them, never a guy in a bunny suit.
1: Even outside Fairfax County, the Bunny Man story is still popular. It's generated YouTube videos as recently as 2019, with hundreds of thousands of views. The Bunny Man has been featured on merchandise and even in a horror film franchise. No matter how or why the story evolved, the fact that it did
0: seals its status as a true urban legend. Fifty years later, it remains relevant. There's something at its core that listeners find
1: timeless. One theme that recurs in both the real Bunny Man events of 1970 and all the various versions of the urban legend is the encroachment of development, a desire to assert property rights. In
0: 1970, the real Bunny Man threatened the couple in the parked car over trespassing. Ten days later, he hacked at a new home with his hatchet.
1: According to Brian Conley, the home the Bunny Man attacked with an axe was one of 1,500 new houses. Around 1970, several other developments of that size were underway. This meant that the rural woods and pastures that the Bunny Man likely grew up in were disappearing. It's a theme many can relate to, so much so
0: that it remains preserved within the urban legend's version of events. As the area around the asylum containing the mythical Bunny Man becomes more residential he's forced to move. Instead of complying, he escapes and exacts revenge against the citizens who would run him out of his home.
1: Like most urban legends, the Bunny Man touches on deep-seated fears we otherwise try hard to ignore. The story forces us to consider the unintended consequences of development and expansion.
0: Humans like to focus
1: on progress, and we typically assume it's positive
0: but progress always leaves someone behind.
1: And it's in that moment of abandonment, whether by expulsion from an insane asylum or the encroachment of unwanted construction, that monsters are created. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on The Bunny Man, amongst the many sources we used, we found Brian A. Conley's essay, The Bunny Man Unmasked, The Real-Life Origins of an Urban Legend, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream
0: Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
1: Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. And Parcasters, be sure to follow the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Blind Dating. It's a fun twist on a classic setup where hopeful singles choose their match based on personality, not looks. That is, until the very end. Search Blind Dating and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.